Welcome back to Our Justice Journey with Dr. Vajra Watson, Part 5. And we thank you for your continued interest in this discussion. So we need to start welcoming that so that we can push forward to a more progressive and more radical change and mm. instead of settling for, you know, basic freedoms. Because mm. essentially, that is where I would argue that we are at as a society right now. And basic freedoms, still, still controversial, you know, and the place in which we're fostering knowledge about this, you know, our educational system is broken. Mm-hmm. It's, I was talking to Adia about this, um, mm-hmm. and the DEI team um, about education. Um, and I'm glad you brought up that point of, you know, even making those bold steps to, you know, create change and seeing teachers in their humanity, even if, if it may not paint the picture that we all want to see. Mm-hmm. It, it's the fact that, you know, what does it mean to learn a history that's not your own? You know, when it comes to our education system and what does it also mean when stuff like that is brought up in a classroom setting and teachers are uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. What is causing that discomfort? And I think that when it comes to this work in general, that's what a lot of us need to start, you know, going deeper into that it's not about what is the problem, it's about what's causing it. You know, because we can only keep trying to fix stuff at the surface level for so long. Very true. So, but yes. Um, I also wanted to hear your opinions on the social, political, and economic representation of African Americans in our society and the role that you feel that white people have in essentially reconciling that. Mm. I mean, I think that, you know, some of it is um, the work of like reparations and really, you know, thinking about what that means, you know, yes, politically, socially, but also just, you know, just in our, just in our lives. Um, I go, I definitely personally just go back to like the, the decentering whiteness, you know, there is a lot of um, positionality that white people play. And so, you know, who is on the a board, right? Like I sit on a lot of boards, I make boards. So is, are, who's on the board of, that's gonna be overseeing like an organization or like leading something? Is it majority people of color? Is it majority black women? You know what I mean? Like these are really important questions that I think are constant questions to ask. And that's not to say that it's just a numbers game, but that's I think there are these these like signposts that are like people can talk a good talk um but and I and I think about board of directors all the time because they kind of sit behind right and so it's like you open that door and you look and you're like wait this is what the board of directors looks like like Mm -hmm. that's scary um so I'm very intentional in terms of those pieces um and I think that there's probably more to do. I mean, I think about the doctoral program that I run now at Sac State. I think about who's applying, mm-hmm. um, who's getting in. You know, I get one of the things that I've I've thought about uh, is what would it look like? What would it mean for the the whole our cohorts to be all Black Indigenous people of color? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that those are the folks getting their doctorates. You know, and 
I'm still operating within obviously a system that is, you know, race neutral. And, you know, you can't say that you can't say like, oh, I would love a cohort um, within the state system that is, you know, exclusionary in that way. But at the same time, I also think that that is part of the reparations work because, you know, you can go through my, you know, genealogy and I, my ancestors always had access to school. My ancestors always had access to buy property. These are, these are what was privileged to white people over and over and over again. And so of course, you know, that is going to change my relationship to education, my relationship to ownership, property ownership, right? All of those things. And the, the last little thing that it makes me think of is a really good example. My colleague, my white colleague, Christine uh, Sleater, she is um, a professor of race equity. And she spent years and years and years tracing her family history. And she found the um, indigenous nation that her ancestors stole land from. And um, she ended up getting from some relative or something, she got inheritance money and she gave it to that indigenous nation. And she said, you know, my family wouldn't even have collected wealth this whole time if it hadn't been for that robbery hundreds of years ago. And so one of the things too, I always say that equity starts with autobiography. It doesn't stop, Mm. but it starts there. Yeah. And so that's also for white people to understand our family lineage and really understanding it through the lens of race and racism and white supremacy and the KKK and the enslavement of Africans. And where are we in that story, right? As white people, because that is gonna also lead to the deep seated reparations that are needed, but we're so scared of that story we're so scared to, to face ourselves as oppressors and to understand the deep dynamics of how we got to be how we are. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's a journey. I'm trying to do that family history right now. And it's like, it's just, it's, it's a dig to try to just like uncover these unspoken truths of whiteness. Yeah. And, um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, in order to, in order to heal, you know, just like you said, you got to look inside. Sometimes you got to look generations inside. Mm, yeah. To put it back together. It's definitely, you know, to know where we're going, we have to know where we came from. And I think that it's very, you know, naive to try to go around that, mm-hmm. you know, because you're repeating cycles that you didn't even know existed at that point. And, you know, that has to be broken at some point. Um, but it definitely does take, you know, a lot of healing, a lot of soul searching, a lot of, you know, facing harsh, harsh truths, you know, on all ends of the spectrum, because this is not a dual sided, you know, problem. This is a humanities problem. You know, this is a, this is really, it reflects the state of where we are as humans today. And if I think we want to see any change in that, we all have to do that work, as you said, you know, and even if that takes going generations inside, you you have to, you have to, because, you know, you can't be so scared of the past that you don't want to see yourself in it, because you do have a Mm. role. Mm. 
you do have a role. We all have a role, you know? Um, of course, it's a bigger conversation um, in general. You drop the bars, you drop the bars. <laughs> I just, you know, it, it's, it's, I did want to ask you about your opinion on Pan-Africanism, mm-hmm. uh, just because I think that when we think of race relations in America, we think of it as African-American issues, but African-American, um, it's, I think, yeah, I think it was James Baldwin that mm-hmm. said it. Uh, being African-American is to be African without um, culture and American without privilege. Mm. I think that's what he said. I'm not exactly sure. So please don't quote me on that. But it's definitely, you know, something that speaks to a larger issue, I think, at hand, too, Mm. um, within the Black community. And it's almost like we're trying to run from each other in a Mm. way. Um, but I think that when we think of Pan-Africanism, you know, that makes everybody is at the root of this problem and everybody's also at the root of the solution. And I think that when we, you know, have such a sense of grounding, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and that grounding is within that community, that's when we're able to, you know, transcend all of these other superficial issues and, you know, we're able to recognize intersectionality of the Black community. Mm able to recognize the intersectionality of humans. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that is incredibly important, but I definitely want to hear your opinion on that and, you know, on what that means for the future as well. I mean, I definitely am an advocate of like abolish borders. I think that the, when identities are based on the nation state, they are colonial yeah. identities. Yes. Period. yes. Um, and so, you know, I, I just remember reading about like Jomo Kenyatta and Kwame Nkrumah and and I, and how these people were like murdered by the CIA and you yeah. know African like fights for independence and I just remember being like wait this isn't a USA issue you know for so long I was thinking about it I was I was so anti-American in my ideology mm-hmm. I thought that this was a problem of America versus seeing like white supremacy as a problem of the world. Yeah. One, but then also starting to understand and you know in the in the spirit of like pan-african work that the global power is in the understanding of like the black diaspora yeah. because the you know if you start really like studying maps and the politics of geography that those divisions went hand in hand with the like colonial mentality. Yeah. So if you want to break free of the colonial mentality, it it makes natural sense that though to get back to the roots, those are pan-African roots. Those roots are not in reaction to colonialism. Yeah. They are much deeper. And when you start having, I think, a pan-African like global perspective, it helps shed light on how young whiteness and white people are Mm. how young america is and then like wait if i use a a pan-african lens once i see the world like this big yeah and i see time differently Mm. then i'm like looking at time like this and i'm like wait white people have had power for how long yeah yeah oh this is a joke you know what i mean this like wait, this is the amount of time where we we feel like is we're trapped inside? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. You know, white people probably won't even be around in a hundred years. And that's honestly, you know, it's definitely the way and the perspective from which we look at our histories, you know, because let's talk about, you know, in history, you know, that winners often write the history, you know, which is why um, they don't write it, but they definitely get to dictate what's taught in the classrooms. Um, and I think that that definitely speaks to the fact that many people, you know, many you know, African-American students included don't know the history. So we also see ourselves trapped inside this never ending issue, which is why I can feel like we cannot catch a break. You know, there's always something happening and it's been happening for so long that it's like, you know, is this really, you know, a pattern or, or a habit that can be broken or is this just human nature? And I think that's a very scary question to grapple with because if it's human nature, that means that this is, this is not a problem that can be solved. But I do think that when we look at it from a different perspective, that's when we can bring in more hope and we can bring in, you know, more realistic approaches of stop, stop complicating everything with, you know, politics and mm -hmm. capitalism and, you know, this Eurocentric view of education and of society and think of, okay, what is right? What is wrong? You know, think of it from a child's perspective and, I think that that's when we'll really start to see growth when people are able to, you know, step outside of themselves and outside of, you know, the ego that we all kind of hold. Um, and we're able to, you know, see each other as, you know, reflections instead of like, that, that isn't who I want to be. So I can't identify with that person as another human because we are all the same, I feel, you know? And this is, this is definitely a communal issue that, I feel like once one of us steps out of it, it, it makes it very hard for people to keep preaching that, yes, like this is a problem that affects all of us, you know? Mm -hmm. But it is, it is. And we see, you know, it doesn't affect all of us in the same way, but it definitely yeah. affects all of us, so. True, and I think that I, you know, that history point, the history piece, I think is really important because you do wanna be able to look to the past and say, there was a time, like you think about the Hutu and the Tutsi before the Belgium, right? Mm. Thousands of years of peace. Yeah. And people be like, oh, the Hutu and the Tutsi, they always fight. Oh yeah, exactly. They they fought for like this amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, during colonialism and after colonialism and it was an atrocity. Yeah. But why would we forsake 10,000 years of their history? Yeah. So, you know, I think about the ways even that like Jews, Muslims, and Christians in Ethiopia have lived together for thousands of years without strife. That, you know, when Muhammad was like fleeing in Mecca, the, the Christian king said, oh, come, come kick it over here with us. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why? And he's like, oh, well, you have a book of um, Mary in the yeah. Quran. Well, why? okay, well, we're not teaching towards that. We teach about crusades. We teach about the intrinsic nature of fighting. Mm -hmm. And that is such a, that is such a like white version of history that further divides and conquers us. So part of the, artiller the artillery of justice is the knowledge of the past that break opens the lies Mm. So that you can be in spaces and call forth like other realities mm. you know those other realities as truth right 
And because what that does is it shakes, it shakes the learning to the point of like, we're really talking in facts. We're talking in quest for truth, you yeah. know? And so someone would be hard pressed to really be able to show me like where 5,000 years ago, the Hutu and the Tutsi weren't like intermarrying and kicking it and loving yeah. one another. And so those, it's like, I, I think that sometimes we do get so future oriented and we, we lose some of the like Sankofa looking back. Yeah. Yet, if it's a circle, man, your past and your future are one. Yeah. And, um, and again, that's a balance. That's the balance of the past and the future, man, manifesting in Nicole. Amen. Yeah. Um, I think this is a good place, I think. So I think I've asked you probably 15 questions. So we thank you, Dr. Roger Watson, once again, for being such an amazing contribution to this discussion. And hope to continue connecting with you in the future. Thank you again to our listeners for being a part of this discussion as well. And we hope that you enjoyed our podcast. Make sure to keep up to date with new stories and interviews in the near future.